Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is the Drivers Meeting Podcast, hosted by R.J. Starcevic and driver and team owner in the NASCAR Xfinity Series, Tommy Joe Martins. back to the driver's meeting podcast the first episode after the 2021 season has officially begun i mean it was a uh, a pretty eventful speed weeks as usual and it started off i mean a lot of racing going on this weekend we had the clash the duels the truck race arca race xfinity race and it capped off with the daytona 500 um but we'll start obviously with with the man of the room tommy joe martins and man i was i, I mean I, I can't help but think how much of a Bummer. It was. I was I was watching. Of course, I had you. We had you on the big screen out in the living room. And I'm pointing. I'm pointing at my TV. I'm like, there he is. Morning. What? P7, P8. I mean, right where you needed to be and circumstance. And that's that's really what Daytona is. And I mean, you got you just got hooked. And then there's grass. You you had it. It was saved. There was, <laughs> there was nothing really you could have done. And then there's the grass. I mean, take us take us through kind of that moment and everything that was kind of going through your head as you kind of went for that longish spin. Yeah, uh, give ourselves a chance. I mean, that's that's really all you can do at Daytona is is put yourself in position with under ten to go and, and give yourself a shot at it. We took a very conservative strategy all race and paid off. Got ourselves in a, in a pretty good position there. Had to dodge a few wrecks. Uh, to get there, but but we're, we're able to do that pretty controlled. Um, that last big one over there in, in three and four was a big one. Um, luckily, I was far enough back of that that it was mostly mostly settled down by the time I got there, but still had to had to do a little job and get around that. But set ourselves up in a good position for that final restart there, where we we were going to restart eight with about eight to go, seven to go. And uh, got down to the bottom line, felt like that would give me a little more escapability in case anything. Generally, when a wreck happens at Daytona, it pulls everything to the top very quickly. And, and if you saw exactly what happened with Michael McDowell uh, in that, that Cup Series race uh, on, uh, on Sunday night, same thing, right? Where that wreck happens, he's on the bottom, he winds up kind of getting away, winds up winning the, the Daytona 500. Um, really... That was kind of what we were thinking was put yourself in position down there on the bottom. The top's probably going to roll a little better, but the bottom generally is who gets away if anything does happen. And did that, or I think we were third or fourth in line down there on the bottom. And uh, just when, when Landon uh, got wrecked on the top, Jeremy Clements was trying to make an avoidance, uh, went down and, and hooked us. And I, I really thought I saved it, uh, but – just barely nose it over in the grass and it just ripped the whole lower front end off of it. And, and really that wasn't even the problem. The main problem was I couldn't get it out of the grass. <laughs> Once it spun in there, I couldn't get it out. And then we were just kind of stuck with a, with a 24th place finish. So uh, disappointing, but we knew what, what the odds were. When we got up in there in the mix, you know that yeah. you might just be holding a steering wheel 
at the end of the race, and, and that's it. And the rest of your car might just disintegrate around you. So there, the chance is there uh, for that. And, and we were ready for it. We were ready to take that risk uh, with the chance to maybe maybe go steal a win at Daytona, and, and it didn't work out. Uh, but that's okay. We'll go right back to it next week. Yeah, I was. I mean, I know, uh, I think it was Jeb and Landon who made the initial contact. They kind of got together up in a real tight situation up there. And um, I mean, everyone just trying to avoid the wreck, closing laps. And, um, and sometimes you just get caught up in it. And you, you say that you did. You, you felt like you had it saved. And then, I'm, I mean, I'm watching it. And I'm like, oh, we're good. We're good. Kept the car clean. And then the grass, the wet, rained, thick grass. And <laughs> dig the spoiler in there. And it usually doesn't do you any good, but you guys had speed. And I mean, I know it, it sucked. We didn't get to see qualifying and it, it sucks for the, the guys that were sent home. Um, but I know you were talking about how you guys had speed and practice and improved from last year, which is the main goal. You, you know, you want to improve from where you were last year. But I mean, from what I saw, I know you were playing a conservative, but at least that last run, you the that 44 car looked like, I mean, it looked sharp, obviously, but you guys had speed in that car. Yeah, ran the uh, fourth fastest lap of the race. Um, yeah, obviously, that was me lagging back and getting a big big pull uh, with the draft helping, but you still don't do that without a fast car. Uh, you notice all the people up there in the fastest lap categories there all have lease engines and, and, and trimmed out speedway cars. And Look, we made ours better, and we bought an ECR motor uh, that was a kind of a, a purpose-built speedway engine uh, that we felt like was going to improve our our motor program there at the at the mount at the speedways. We're planning on running that motor for all four speedway races, uh, rather than leasing a motor and having to do that each and every time. Uh, we decided to kind of we bought one thinking like it's probably not going to be quite as good as those lease motors, but it's definitely going to be an improvement from what we had. And it definitely showed that RJ, where we had a lot of speed, uh, basically gained a, a second in speed from where we were. Uh, single car runs last year in practice to where we were uh, in practice this time. So just an incredible job by our team. And, and it was the first time ever, RJ, that I can say it, sitting there with, with eight laps to go, lined up in the top 10, lined up behind a few other cars. I felt like I had a chance to win the race uh, with the car that I had, where if it shook out, it wasn't like anybody was just going to blow by me or I would have to block like crazy. I, I had a car that I could make moves with, and that was really exciting. Yeah, I saw you up there going, you know, I, I know a few times in those closing laps, you went from top, bottom, uh, and we're, we're making some moves to kind of see where the runs were. Um, but now as a driver, now we translate ourselves to something we haven't really done is now you go from a super speedway, you go to Daytona, and now you go to the road course. And the road course, you had success there last time, at least the, the finishing uh, result showed. Uh, you had a good outing there. And now, I mean, as a driver, I mean, now are you, are, is it really – Super. I mean, and obviously it's a big change from going from Daytona to, you know, say Las Vegas or Atlanta, wherever the second race uh, usually would be. I mean, is it, is it really a big change you think for all of these teams to now be heading for, from obviously Daytona now the road course? I think some of them are really excited about it. I think some of them are really nervous about it. Um, that, that change uh, Daytona is such a different beast and, and everybody knows this. The winners of this race, um, the people that run in the front of the pack in this race, the people that go steal a good finish there. And I've been one of those people uh, you, because you can take an extremely conservative strategy into Daytona and, and basically guarantee yourself a top 20. 
You can do that. We did that. <laughs> we did that last year. We did that all day on Saturday. But when that opportunity presented itself at the end of the race, we decided to go for it. Well, it wound up costing us because we basically could have just lollygagged our way to a top 12 finish uh, with the type of car that we had. But we kind of went for it. Okay, well, what we got to do now is make that up. We got to make that up like quick. Now, I'm lucky because I've got some road racing experience and, and you talk about finishing 13th there uh, in the, the one race that we had last year. Actually, I didn't feel like I was very good at Daytona in a weird, in a weird way. Uh, I felt like I really struggled there. And if you remember, big pileups, wrecks, guys going off all over the place. It was a high attrition race, and I was able to take advantage of that. I don't really feel like we had the speed that we wanted to have. Now, we're taking back the same car. We have really gone frame up on the thing, and, and we feel a lot better about that now. I think some of the guys in our position, kind of similar teams, they're bringing the same cars, different drivers. Some guys that are really apt to road course racing, some guys that aren't. And so you can take, you kind of hide some of your flaws at Daytona. A road course, it just depends on who's in the seat. <laughs> There's a lot going on there, but that's another track that maybe isn't just like a perfect microcosm of the season, even though I do feel like it's probably a better gauge than Daytona for what your speed is going to be like especially RJ, since it's the first of seven of these that we're going to. So it makes up such a chunk of the schedule now that you better have a little bit of speed at, at these things. And, and when it comes to the driver standings, which is something that, that I'm concerning myself with, trying to be in the top 20 at the end of the year, you're going to get to kind of size up some of the guys that we're racing against, kind of their comfort level and their speed for the team on, on these type of tracks. Yeah. Yeah, and someone who is loving that is Michael McDowell. I mean, the yeah. Daytona 500 champion. And I know they mentioned at the end of the broadcast, he is a guy that you expect to be near the front on the road courses. You know, you know, normally doesn't have the pure speed in a, in a front row motorsports car, but he's a guy that you expect to be up front of the road courses. And now he's, I'm pretty sure he's going to be starting second for the Daytona road course race. So that's great. I mean, he's locked himself into the playoffs. He's won the Daytona 500. I mean, someone like Michael McDowell, and you got, like you said, all these guys in Xfinity, like Jade Buford, who's going to run the rest of the season, who's a road a road ringer. Um, I know Chris Wright is coming along. I mean, the Xfinity entry list is, I mean, we're already full of the road ringers in the second race of the season. Um, I know uh, Ty Gibbs, not necessarily road ringer, but he'll be making his debut this weekend in, in the 54. Um but man, it's just uh, some, someone, especially like Michael McDowell, and that's something we've talked about a lot before about the guys who are maybe teams that are looking at these guys and giving them full-time opportunities, even though they're just a road course racer. But because there's so many of those on the schedule, you can work around the oval races and, you know, hey, here we go to the road course. Like, I mean, for example, AJ Allmendinger is running the cup race this weekend. I think he can win that race. I mean, I know college, college cars, they're going to bring a good car for him. And he's obviously an incredible road racer. And he'll have the Xfinity race to have experience on and then hop into the cup car. I mean, you know, this, I think it's, it's a really big wild card, you know, how much road course races we have this season. I know we've mentioned it a lot about how it kind of maybe played into who got what ride this year. Yeah, and, and it's it's not going to, again, talking about hiding your flaws. Okay, well, road courses, we're going to two or three. 
uh, I don't really, I don't have to be great at that. I mean, I'm going to spend a little time on it, but I don't have to be great at it. All right, we're going to go to four or five. All right, man, I really better get better at this. You know, this is, it's getting to where this is pretty significant. All right, we're going to seven. All right, well, at this point, you better be pretty good at it because it's taken up basically 20%, over 20% of the schedule in the Xfinity series. So those guys that could maybe hide that as a flaw in their driving ability or their, you know, they're, they're kind of their, their trip bag, you're not hiding that anymore. And there's guys in my series that I know are licking their chops about it. Guys like Alex LeBay, who finished third uh, at the Roval. Um, in, the, in the rain race, you know, guys like that that have proven they can overachieve at these road course races, you know, they're looking at this schedule like, oh my gosh, things break the right with Jeremy Clements, who's won a race on a road course. They're looking at this like, oh man, this can equalize the field a bit to my favor. Because the majority of these races, RJ, are happening outside of the playoffs. The only one that's happening in the playoffs is the Roval for us. So six of these are going to happen. In the first, I'm talking about the Xfinity series here. Six of these are going to happen prior to the to the the seven race playoffs starting. So you're talking about six of 26. That's a big chunk. Yeah, that's that's a big chunk, and it could shake up the playoff picture. I mean, you think about it, one or two mishaps from, you know, Austin Sindrick, we can imagine him and Allmendinger going into this weekend for Xfinity are probably going to be the ones to beat. And Have to be. Yeah, Have and to be if one of them has a mistake, you never know. Someone like Alex LeBay, who's been able to run in the top five. I mean, who knows what we could see out of Cody Ware this weekend? <laughs> I mean, he'll be, he'll be back in the 17 car. And you got guys that kind of linger. You know, you have the dominant cars, Cindric, who, I mean, Cindric and Almendinger dominated this race last year anyways. And then you kind of got the guys that linger, and who knows? There could be a mistake. It could be, I mean, turn one is crazy, especially the Xfinity race. I mean, turn one was, I mean, there was multiple, <laughs> multiple things that happened there. Um, so I and think... guys are going back with a little bit of a notebook now, RJ, yeah. right? I know this wound up looking like, you know, the Three Stooges driving off in turn one a few times last year. The majority of the field got to race there last year. And, and that is going to settle down a, a bit. The one thing we learned about the Daytona Road Course is that the field gets spread out very, very quickly for the most part. And that the tires wear out very, very quickly. You know, in, in just the clash that we saw uh, this past week we talked about it on the pod they had four sets of tires for a 30 lap race and all of them used all of them so we're talking about a high tire wear place that is a big racetrack that's going to get spread out and track position matters i mean it's really going to matter uh, around that place and, and that's something it's not just raw speed you're giving up such a gap to the leader here at these road courses. It's so hard to pass cars. It's, it's going to be tough to make that kind of track position up. Yeah, and, and I bet NASCAR fans are going to love this one. There really isn't any rain scheduled for this weekend. So, you know, we we, we go to the Oval and we <laughs> say, stay away, stay away. The rain comes and then we're at the road course. Okay, you know, now now it can rain if you want to. Nope. Clear yeah. skies every week. Typical Daytona, man. Yeah, good, good old Daytona, and and 
we know how unpredictable Daytona is and that we can kind of uh, switch gears here to the Daytona 500 real quick. I mean, biggest race of the year and something we don't expect. I mean, you always expect the unexpected at Daytona, but something we didn't really expect was half the field to be junked on lap 14. And that stirred, I mean, it, it gave a lot of people time to stir because obviously right after that, we had the big rain delay. So everyone jumped right on Twitter. And um, for me, I didn't get to see it right away because I, I was in turn three and I did not have much service for some reason. And I, I couldn't really see what everybody was saying. But then finally, like two hours later, I was able to get on and see, oh, these people are not very happy with what just transpired on the racetrack. And that, that whole, I mean, scenario, I mean, we were just getting started with the race. You got 500 miles. 200 laps, you know, you, everyone wants to play conservative and one bad bump could take out the field and one bad bump took out the majority of the field. I mean, I'm sitting there and I got my spot in turn three, which I've never really been before. And I'm just kind of sitting there by the fence and I could only see the cars when they're coming right enter in turn three and into turn four. And I can hear the intercom. I just hear trouble back straight away. And I'm like, Oh God, what's happening. I'm thinking someone just spinning. And I look, I turn my head and Oh my gosh, carnage. The entire field is just, I mean, you could hear it. I mean, there's nothing like being up close and you just hear them all. I mean, William Byron almost flipped on his side to watch that happen. And it was just a junkyard. I mean, and then, you got the car sitting in the grass, which they actually got a few of them out of the grass and kept going. It just took them a few laps because, I mean, you you know what it was like sitting in the grass. Not very fun. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of a lot of people were uh, had their you know opinions on what transpired there on lap 14, because that really set us up for the rest of the race. Right. Nobody wanted to do anything. I mean, it was single file the entire race when we got resumed stage rest of stage one was basically single file stage two was single file and stage three was single file basically until the white flag until until someone finally decided to make a move and then you end up tearing up still every almost everybody in that pack just out of one move so i mean what were what were your thoughts on kind of what had happened at the beginning of the race and how that kind of led to the the further events of, of the race well, it, it basically explains the strategy that we take in the speedway races, which is unless you are really actively going after stage points, what is the point of being up there when, when you know you're going to get a few freebie cautions? You know you're going to get dragged right back to the field at the stage breaks. Now, in the Cup Series, the stage breaks are a little longer, and they basically force you into a green flag pit stop. And so you have to kind of hold on to the draft probably a little longer in the cup series than you do in, in say, uh, you know, a 30 lap sprint, which is what we have in our first two segments in the Xfinity series. Okay. I get it. But I thought it was really interesting. Two people that spoke after that, their thoughts really stuck with me. One of those was Denny Hamlin, who they showed video of bailing out of the pack. And, and Denny has spoken about this, of kind of getting the feel of what's going on. And if he doesn't like it, he bails out. And they go, well, you know, Denny isn't in a lot of wrecks. That's because Denny knows that you don't really have to put the car in danger until kind of towards the end of the race. If he can be up there controlling things and things are controllable, he stays up there. He senses the tempo, the pace, the aggressiveness picking up. Generally, he gets out of there. And I love that. I thought that was so, you know, interesting to hear. And Matt Benedetto said the same thing. 
He said he had called to his spotter and said, hey, find me a hole to get out of here. I don't like the fact that we're three wide right now. We don't need to be. And then literally in the same corner, they go in and everybody's wrecked. So clearly there were drivers, RJ, that were kind of picking up on the intensity level of things and going, as an experienced driver here, I don't like how intense this is right now. This is too intense with this early in the race. And intensity on those speedways, meaning tighter side drafting, three wide racing, bump drafting, bigger pushes, blocks, how that's kind of transpiring at the front of the field. And that's eventually what kind of leads to the big one, like you saw there on lap 14. And, and I feel like everybody, everybody felt like it was unnecessary. Yeah, you bring up a good point about Denny Hamlin. I mean, why is he so good at these places? Because you never see him running around in the middle or, you know, right behind the leaders. He's either, con and we saw it in, in the 500, he's either controlling the race or he is minding his own business in the back, waiting for something to happen. And that's why he's always there at the end. And you'd think some people would take after that, which I'm sure some people have, but he is just very experienced. And like they said, um, he doesn't worry he about doesn't throw big blocks at the beginning parts of the race. Yeah. He doesn't. He tries to get to a line, control that line, try to make his way up there. Once he's there, if it's a if it's an easy block to make, like an early block where the lane is building a little momentum, he gets there. If it's going to be a and like uh, we're not sure, he just doesn't throw it. He'll just go down and side draft the guy when he gets next to him. Something that's a little more controllable. Because what we've seen time and time again, RJ, is it's those like kind of in between, like, oh, he's got a pretty good run, but I can still get there. Those are the ones that lead to disaster. And Diddy just avoids that. Now he knows at the end of the at the end of the race, those are the types of blocks you've got to throw to win the race. Right. And he'll do it then. Just like we saw our leaders do that, which I'm sure is a good segue to kind of the ending of this race, we saw. Logano and Kozlowski be put in a situation that everybody knows is coming. The runs come so fast in these cars. And if you watch that lap in the last few laps a couple of times, Kozlowski purposefully was dragging back, getting a gap from Logano to get a big run. And Logano blocked it the first time. And so immediately Kozlowski hit the reset button and dragged back again and got an even bigger run. And Logano in that point, yeah, is it a block that probably was going to work out? No. But to Logano's credit here, if he doesn't throw that block, he's got no shot of winning the Daytona 500. He's just going to go to the back. He will be the sitting duck. Everyone will be fanning out around him. He probably would have finished 8th to 10th uh, if he doesn't try to throw that block. So, yeah, it's it's tough. It's really tough to try to get a judge on what's the right call there in a split second call with the Daytona 500 on the line. Yeah, and it it's crazy how much this package has changed and because the runs are so much bigger now. And you think if we were in that exact same scenario with Logano out front, um Kislowski McDowell kind of in a single file line, if we date back to maybe the 2017 package we had, that race was probably over. I mean, all Logano has to do is just throw a little block in the air. I mean, it does it for you. That's, I mean, that those were the plate races back then. But now, I mean, those races can come down to right after turn four. I mean, it's not over. I mean, the blocks really don't do much anymore. Um, you know, you just keep getting that run. 
And that's why the blocks are just even more crazier to throw now. Cause before it was really just hopping in front of a line and you block them with the air. We see that uh, in the Xfinity series now, kind of, I, I kind of compare what we have in the Xfinity series now to kind of what we saw in cup about three, four years ago. It's kind of the same it's thing. A good I mean, pack, it's a good package, RJ. It's, yeah. it's a very raceable package. We can bump each other. We can side draft each other. You can pull up, you can throw a block. The runs come, but, but it's not, like I feel like in the Cup Series right now, they're coming at hyper speed. Oh yeah, because those cars are knocking such a big hole in the air. RJ, you're you're getting a four five mile an hour run on each other mid pack, and especially up here at the front of the pack, when someone is pushing the second car, and there is a gap developed against that first car. It, I mean, it's and you hear the announcers. I thought Boyer and and, and Gordon did a great job yesterday, kind of explaining the dynamics of that at the front of the field where. There's some of these that are just unblockable. They're just not blockable. The guy just has too much speed. You're too far ahead, and you're a sitting duck. And that's what you're trying to avoid. So in a weird way, RJ, as the leader, we say controlling a line, you're almost wanting to make sure that you don't you don't let the guy in second push you to a big enough gap and then drag back and get a run on you. So you're trying to almost like lead the race – but also don't lead it by too far. And, and, and that's why you see those guys changing lanes so much because they're basically trying to avoid anyone getting too big of a gap and too big of a run on them. So it's, it's this wild way of controlling a race. And these guys are having to rewire their brains. And some of them have picked it up incredibly fast. And I think everybody understands it, but you clearly see some guys that have already just mastered it. And I think Denny Hamlin is, is the guy that stands out the most. Kozlowski and Logano would be two other guys, RJ, that I would put in that category of have mastered this. It's just they're going for the same piece of real estate going into turn three with the Daytona 500 on the line. Yeah, Austin, and that, that brings me kind of to Austin Cindric, another Penske guy who really impressed me because if we think about, you know, back in Cup, you know, three, four years ago when they kind of had the same-ish packages, ish as Xfinity kind of now where you can kind of – more the runs are a little more easier to, to block and it was kind of a little different austin cindrick did incredible i thought from controlling the xfinity series race i mean he did an outstanding job i think i mean we know that 22 car has a lot of speed and there were a lot of cars that were taken out um in that one big one but i mean most of the race was really controlled uh by austin cindrick and he was there at the right time and at the end he was able to put the right blocks on uh, i believe harrison burton and then brett moffitt coming down to the very end i think he did a very good job and then the cup race he was running up front as well and almost kind of a totally different uh, package that he had never run in before never run in that car he was running up front in the duel which was his first time and in, in that cup car and he ran well there in the 500 he was there at the end i mean he was caught up in that giant uh, crash in the final lap and that giant crash in the final lap, I mean, I mean, there's it. I think it was it was really because you could see McDowell was right on the bumper of Kislowski and Kislowski then was on the bumper of Logano. And they always say, don't don't push the pusher, but it's the final lap. I mean, nobody cares. You know, um, that could be said for lap 14 when they were all stacking up and caused yes. the big one. But on the final lap, it really we don't really care. We're, we're going for the Daytona 500. And I mean, it's just crazy how. Logano gets turned left because gets turned right. And there comes Michael McDowell just kind of cruises right through the middle. And that was a vicious crash. I mean, thankfully everybody's okay. That was crazy. Yeah, I mean, it really was. Tire blew off of the, the two car. I mean, the, the back of the car got shredded in, in the fence. 
fire. I mean, I know Austin. I think the only thing I saw about it was Austin Cindric talking about it, how that was like his first wreck that really was fire, like in his car. And he's yeah. still kind of recovering from it. I mean, because I was. See, and, and RJ, this is where I'm going to say something a little controversial here. I understand the impact of that wreck. And, and thank God, first things first, the safety level in these cars and that everybody's okay. I mean, it just, thank goodness, because that was a scary looking crash. Fire, car upside down, hard impacts. I mean, some, some of these cars didn't look like there's anything left of them. With that being said, NASCAR throws the yellow to be able to get out to the cars quicker to be able to check on the drivers. I wouldn't have thrown the yellow until the leader crossed the checkered flag there because that wasn't, I've always understood that rule to be, we're not going to throw a yellow or we're going to throw a yellow if we feel like we're going to get the safety workers out there and they're going to be at risk of cars coming around a corner at speed, right? Yeah. Okay. This is a two and a half mile racetrack. They were in the middle of turns three and four. The leader could have taken the checkered flag and, and we're literally talking about another mile and a half until they get there. And you have a spotter. I mean, that's why you have a spotter to tell you, wait, whoa, back it down. You know, there's, they've got the medical crews and stuff over there in three and four. All right. Like the fact that you threw the yellow coming out of turn four, what's the difference in just throwing the checkered than coming to the line? Because that's the thing, RJ, is like the Daytona 500 and speedway races, the key here is you don't even know who's going to win until you see who's uh, like at the line. I mean, what the truck race the other night, they changed leads three times in the short shoot from the exit of turn four till we got to the line. And you were about to have the same thing in that cup race. Chase Elliott had a huge run. He was going to blow the doors off of Michael McDowell, but then the car behind them had a run. So it was going to be an, a spectacular finish. And nobody is happier for Michael McDowell and an underdog story winning this thing than this guy right here who's been one my entire career. I love it. I just also feel like as a fan here and as NASCAR, I want to prioritize the safety. Like that is that is true. I just always believe in racing back to the checkered flag. If there's a wreck in turn one, yeah, you probably got to throw yellow there. I, I get it because you want to you want to really back them down before they get to it. You know that makes sense. I, I, I understand. The wreck was in three and four. And the leaders are coming out of four heading to the line. And I just don't feel like it was necessary to throw that 10 seconds. That 10 seconds, I understand it makes a difference. All of us as drivers here, RJ, I feel like I'm speaking for a lot of us here. We all understand the risks in this. In the 10 seconds there from when they threw it to when the cars got to the line for the Daytona 500 victory, I mean, like I said, the lead could have changed three times there. And we might have had a different winner. And I feel like for the fans and everybody watching this thing, that's probably more entertaining. Yeah. Getting that finish rather than this, we've waited, whatever, we've waited 10 hours for this. And they threw the yellow and we got to look at the tape and see who was at when the yellow came out. And again, I understand the policy. It's done in safety. And I understand all of this. That's just one of those like kind of judgment calls 
that I feel like probably hurt the thing that we look forward to more than anything else, which is like racing to the line with the Daytona Bob Yeah. And I think all, all three, the, every car that really crossed the line was still at full throttle. I mean, they, they were still going, I mean, slowed down a tiny bit, but they were still at full throttle. And, and that dates me back to, I mean, and even more, um, why are we throwing this yellow moment? And NASCAR's kind of getting better at that over the years. But when I think of something like this, I just always think of Brennan Poole, the Xfinity race at Talladega. I mean, he was he was robbed, in my, in my opinion. I mean, the wreck was in the trioval. I mean, this isn't even turn three and four. It was in the trioval right before the line. Brennan yeah. Poole gets his first career win. And, a and that's too call. early in the trigger on it. And, yeah. and I'm a believer, RJ, if you want my theory on this, I'm a believer in racing to the checkers. We're not racing back to the line. We are not racing back to the caution. We're not doing it because that is dangerous. It just flat out is. And if you watch a wreck at New Hampshire on the front stretch, that proves that I'm an idiot right now because it's there. It's a cup series race where they wrecked, coming to the checkers, and everybody was just wide open, driving in there, trying to weave through it, trying to get to the checkered flag, and it was a mess. And that's what led to some of this. All right. So I'm stupid, and I can go ahead and say that on the front end because I, I, I don't want to just discredit this idea but as fans and as a sport the thing that is the most dramatic moment we have is two cars racing towards the finish line who's it gonna be and all the people like i think about thirty thousand people that a little bit of a risky health move going in public and then it gets rain delayed, and they sit around, they wait all day, they pay money for the Daytona 500, and they got a ticket to look at the two cars coming across the line, and they didn't even get that. They don't even know who won. They have to wait for an announcer to tell them who won, and that just doesn't sit right with me. Yeah, Something that clearly wasn't going to affect safety or the outcome of their three and four, I just feel like this is a judgment call, RJ, and I really want them to swallow the whistle on it more. Like on lap 17, throw it. Stop the field, wherever they are, it doesn't matter. On lap 200 of the 500, you just gotta really make sure that it's somebody who's in the line of danger path before you just automatically flip the button. Yeah, I get what you mean. And and at least we did get to see a finish, uh, like you said, the truck race and how that can change. You know, oh, and real, real quick, RJ, before I forget, just, just to follow my point up here. Okay, everybody remembers Kevin Harvick winning the Daytona 500 over Mark Martin. What happened behind him? Huge wreck. Coming off turn four down the short shoot. Huge wreck. People flipping upside down. But what is the image that's on the side of Daytona USA? <laughs> Nose to nose for the win in the 500. Yep. What happens when Hamlin and, uh, you know, Truex at the line for the 500? What's going on behind him? Wreck. And this happens. We wreck coming back to the line. And that the thing is, RJ, like I'm saying all this, knowing the wreck that we watched Sunday night, that was a big wreck and there was fire 
and cars flip it. I get it. That was massive. It was mega. And that's why they did it. It was literally just like, holy cow, we have got to, we got to throw. I get it. Would I seem like an idiot here <laughs> if somebody like legitimately was hurt in that and they weren't able to get to him for the extra 10 or 15 seconds? Yeah, that's a long time, especially if you're on fire. That's a long time. So, yeah, am I stupid? Sure. But what I'm saying is I don't see what's stopping the medical crew from going out there on the last lap of the race, knowing that everybody else coming through there the next time through is going to be under, it's, they're all going to be under caution anyway. It's going to be a cool down lap. So that's why I'm just going, there probably is a version of this that's kind of the in-between version. And I would like to see that because I want to see cars racing to the line to finish off the race. Every time, every time we should see that unless there is just like crazy circumstances that we all agree. We're like, okay, we got to do it. I think the the cup races from Talladega, both of them are good examples uh, because if you, if you look at the first one uh, that we had where um, Ryan Blaney won in that crazy finish, there was a, there was a pretty big wreck um, on the backstretch going into turn three. Uh, I think LaJoy, Truex, some, some other guys were involved in that wreck and it was a pretty good wreck. And they let him race. And we had an incredible, and a bigger, even more crashing coming to the line. And we let him race and had a photo finish. Then in, in the fall race, the playoff race, I mean, there were wrecks everywhere. I mean, there was a wrecking off of four, the wrecking on the backstretch everywhere. And we get one of the most, I mean, controversial, crazy, um, edge of your seat finishes. I mean, they're three wide coming out of turn four, which is what we would have had at Daytona too. I mean, Austin Dillon, Michael McDowell, Chase Elliott, uh, they all would have been three wide coming to the line. I mean, they probably would have been door banging and, and doing more stuff if the caution wasn't called, but you know, they let him race. My Xfinity race, my Xfinity race in the fall at, at Talladega. I can tell you I was, I was dropped back. They wrecked on the last lap coming down the backstretch. I was running like 22nd and I think I finished 15. Well, why is that? Well, they didn't throw the yellow immediately when they wrecked. I'm just telling you, I was wide open and digging without seeing smoke and cars still sitting on the inside part of the racetrack. Now, did they throw it? Yeah, but I was already still wide open going back through there. So it feels like this is this is a subjective thing. And I just want them to kind of come up with a concept of like, all right, look, if it happens middle of the backstretch and further, we're going to let them race back. If it happens in turn one, we got we got to put it out. Right, because you guys are going to be coming back here wide open, going in turn one. Like we can't have that, right? Yeah. But but th- th- this version of like an overtime line or like a race back to the line, something. We you know everybody hated that overtime line in the middle of the backstretch. That was like the dumbest thing ever, right? It was it was bad. All right, but something like that of like, hey, this is like the point of no return. Like we're <laughs> we're racing back to the line if we get here, because other otherwise. It, Anything before this is a safety hazard, right? We got to throw it. Maybe that works. Maybe that where it's a little more clear cut instead of it being kind of like a, uh, we don't know. Maybe sometimes we do. Maybe sometimes we don't. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's always a judgment call, which which sucks. Judgment calls are always going to be yeah. controversial either <laughs> way. And the last time we saw this was, I believe, in the fall. It was the truck race at Talladega. Ra- Rafael Lasard's first win. Uh, they had a wreck on the backstretch, and they just threw it right while he was side by side with Trevor Bain, and and Lassard gets the win, 
And people, I think, were probably questioning that one too, you know, probably questioning a little less because we're going to question the Daytona 500 more than, you know, a truck race. But I think that was the last time we had a race under, and even before that, I think it had been a while since we had a race under yellow. I can't remember the last cup race that was ended uh, under caution, um, at least at a a super speedway track. I think in, in recent years, I mean, I think we've had finishes they've been letting them run back it's just judgmental calls and it's the people that feel like it needs to be thrown and they were right on that too it wasn't like yeah they, they was weren't quick. waiting yeah and, and i'm telling you the person on the button there saw the fire and a car upside down and threw and that was it it was you know, the bud got hit and i get it this is not me I, like i promise i'm not like super questioning the call here what i'm questioning is kind of the overall like is there a a line here that needs to be a little more clearly drawn for all the competitors and the fans to understand what, what is the yes or no, because it feels like NASCAR just consistently just goes, well, you know, we're having to make a quick judgment on this and we just do it. And it's like, ah, I know that the guys were in danger, but the race was only going to last another six seconds. So it's like, ah, that's where I'm, that's where I'm running into this. Now, I know on road courses, it's much easier on road courses because they're bigger tracks. You know, they have sectional yellows. If, you know, someone wrecks here, they have it, which is, yeah. Please make that more common. Please make a corner yellow a more common thing because in NASCAR, we don't have that. We only have four course yellows. Yep. And the thing about those road courses, man, especially as we get later in the race, RJ, when they talk about caution, breeding caution, Man, do they on a road course because you're so bunched up and the corners are so tight. You basically are just going to run into each other. It just happens in a stock car. thing barely stops on its own, much less when you're around 30 other people pushing and shoving on you. So there's a few amendments (laughs) to this that I would like to see. It would also help the overall uh, broadcast and, and the race itself not getting bunched up and not getting stopped and started so much like in a 52 lap race which were what we're going to have in the xfinity series and the road course on saturday i mean realistically we can expect taking away the stage cautions probably five or six cautions all right well a caution the minimum length is going to be about three laps all right well if we do that <laughs> that's the minimum length so six or seven cautions and all of a sudden we're looking at like 21 of the 52 laps yellow minimum that's tough and and that's tough to watch as a fan when you could go well it might only be like two actual real cautions you know we probably would have like three just corner yellow stuff and the thing is like rj if it's a single car spin they don't throw up for that right they don't They're, they're pretty good about that but there's some of these that like a guy just kind of pulls over and stops and i've run road course races man like in sports car racing, they don't stop for a car just pulled over and stop. They just go, bro, we're just going to come and push you. We're just going to push you behind the wall. Like, we're just, we're throwing the corner yellow here, no passing in this zone. Everybody slow down, but we're just going to keep the race moving. And something like that would probably work. Do we need, do we need more road course officiating like we saw in the Xfinity race at Charlotte Roval? Oh, no. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it was a very hands-off approach. That, that they was took the total opposite of what we're talking about here. I mean, we had cars. We had, I mean, 
you were sitting in the barrier for a while. Matt Mills yeah. was chilling there, and it There's was like four cars sitting in a barrier for a lap yeah. and a half. They're just hanging out, you know, and and <laughs> no caution. I mean, yeah. so maybe maybe we need to look at that more. Um, yeah, uh, if you can't tell everybody listening to this, um, trying to judge what NASCAR is going to do on an officiating decision is it's a little bit. Uh, a little bit tough to do. It's basically like throwing darts at a dartboard. And, and it's and I know it sounds like I'm really picking on NASCAR here. This is a tough call. It's a tough call for a yellow, no yellow. It is. Uh, what I'm really saying is maybe <laughs> this needs to be more clearly laid out what constitutes the use of a yellow. So for everybody to understand, like we all understand what the penalties are in a football game, Right. And in NASCAR, we have a pit road penalty card. We all understand what the penalties are. That's fine. But the thing that we don't completely understand is, like, what is a yellow and what's not a yellow? Like, okay, if I spin on my own, is that a yellow? Eh, maybe. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's not. Like, at a mile and a half. Okay, you spin on, like, lap two after a restart? That's a yellow. Sometimes. <laughs> I mean, it's like, oh, wait, well, all right. <laughs> it's kind of tough. It's kind of tough to figure out. Yeah. So another thing that kind of I guess has not been controversial, but people have been talking about it a lot with these super speedway races is there's been a thing that's been taken away in the Xfinity truck and I mean even the Arca series, but we're really focused on Xfinity truck and that's the locking bumpers, the pushing, right, the, the tandeming. And people have their different takes on it. It's not brought up much because it, I mean, it hasn't affected too much. We've still gotten great product in, in the truck series and Xfinity series, but is that a thing as, as a driver in the Xfinity series, would you want tandem drafting to come back? Uh, look, this is, this has actually been a little bit of a debate, RJ, that is, that has come up. Really in the fan world, not really in the garage. I haven't heard anybody talk about this in the garage. So let's just let's just kind of play the thought experiment out there. Would this lead to fewer wrecks? Maybe. Maybe not. Uh, you got to understand also that the radiators that are in place in these cars now are specifically designed to overheat a lot faster, right? So like when guys were locking bumpers and stuff, those radiators were bigger. They carried more water. NASCAR specifically restricted the size of the radiators and came to what we call a spec radiator that carries a lot less water because they wanted that them to not lock bumpers. They don't, they don't like that. They're picking speeds up too much. It's hard to control. And I don't know. I mean, the, the takeoff speed that you saw when guys were locking bumpers, that was also the Kozlowski wreck where Carl Edwards went flying into the catch fence and Talladega. So we start talking about safety here. It's not like that it was a whole lot more safe. That's a pretty nasty wreck. There were still nasty wrecks in this. Uh, is it more fun to watch? I don't know. It's different to watch. I, I don't necessarily think that just because we have now realized that the thing that we need to protect in these cars is the, the right-hand side of the car. We all know that now. That's at a mile and a half especially at a speedway, because if you get a car to the right-hand side of you, they side draft the heck out of you. I mean, they just pack air on your sport and it feels like it slows you down 12 miles an hour, right? So that's why you see everybody up there near the top of the racetrack. They're basically protecting the right side of the car for nobody to be able to go up there and put a big 
side draft on them and just kill all their momentum, right? Also, that single file, you're able to go faster, you're in the throttle more, you protect yourself against getting past. So it's not that that's bad. It's just that everybody's kind of gotten smarter now and kind of learned, like, all right, the strengths and weaknesses of the cars. But RJ, you watched the Xfinity race, you watched the cup race. Yeah, there were stretches where it got single file around the top. Everybody gets bored by that. I can tell you sitting inside the car, it's not boring. You're going 195 miles an hour around there about a foot off the wall, right? So it's not, that's not boring. I think to the people sitting in the stands, seeing the cars go whipping by, it's probably not boring. But I get how the TV audience is probably like, all right, well, here we go. Yeah. We're in the entertainment business. Is the two-by-two stuff more entertaining than that? Yeah, it's more entertaining than that. But at the end of the race there, going down the backstretch at Daytona, when the cars were side-by-side and you had two lines forming, going down the backstretch, you really had no idea who was going to win the Daytona 500. And that was with the current package. And the Xfinity race, going down the backstretch, did you have any idea who was going to win that one? No. Truck race, do you have any idea who was going to win that one? No. Whereas often in the two-by-two deal, Going down the backstretch, you had basically figured out it was going to be one of two people. Yeah. Really, and the person that was controlling it was the person pushing because they could pull out, side draft them real quick and get around them instantly. So it's like, uh, I don't know that that's necessarily better. As a driver, does it give me a little more control? Yeah. Is that probably closer to a pure form of this? Yeah. I mean, really, if you want my opinion and the other driver's opinions, we, we probably want them to go even faster. And then you have to lift and, like, use more handling and, and skill in it is probably what everybody really wants. But but that's, <laughs> that's not conducive to keeping these cars on the ground. <laughs> so, like, if we let them go 230, we would have to lift in the corners, and that would separate the field more. But – we would also spin each other at 2.30 and the thing would probably flip upside down and be a really nasty crash. So that's probably not good either. But the point that I'm making here, RJ, is that this is hard. The reason that we haven't come up with a perfect package yet is because it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. There is nothing that is fast enough, but also entertaining enough, but also separates the cars enough. But there, is not, there isn't one. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a thing. And when you watch these races, everybody, anybody that's talking crap about like, man, it needs to go back to the way that it was in the early 2000s. It needs to go back to the way that it was in the 90s. Watch the race in the 90s. Watch it. It gets single, single file, seven car breakaway for forever. Yep. That's it. So anybody that's remembering that is something else. It wasn't like that. That's, and, and there was a full car length and a half between the cars. Yeah. So we're racing tighter, faster, closer than we've ever raced before. And, and we're, it's just really hard to come up with something that's the perfect blend of everything that we're looking for. Yeah. And what I don't like sometimes about just people, I know, in the fan base is jumping to conclusions. Like, and, and I don't want them hating on the pack. I feel like the package we have right now in Cup at the Super Speedways, I think it's great. I think it's what NASCAR wanted. And we had amazing races at Talladega last year. 
I mean, it was incredible. The first race, we didn't tear up as many cars, and I thought it was a great race. Second race, we tore up more cars. Still a pretty solid race. Daytona 500 was a pretty good race. It was just this year, it was it was driver RJ, choice. Okay. Races, are, races are better when there are wrecks. Yeah. <laughs> races are better with wrecks. I say this hoping I never get in any, <laughs> and so does every driver. But I think we all understand that they are more entertaining with wrecks. Yeah. And the wrecks at Daytona and Talladega were going 195 when we wreck. They're going to be bigger wrecks. That's just the nature of the beast. Like, and you can't get away from each other. They're going to be bigger. We, we all know, we all know this. <laughs> so to, to cuss the package, and go, well, it's just big wrecks all the time. First of all, it makes it more entertaining and it makes it more tense because you can see it and you're like, oh my gosh, they're one mistake away from a big one. So you are watching very closely. Whereas like at Kansas, we're spread out. <laughs> we know that. You know, that doesn't mean that you can't wreck big at Kansas. We've, we've done that too. <laughs> like Anthony Alfredo flipped upside on fire this year. But that's going to be a lot less frequent than a wreck at Talladega or Daytona. Yeah, I, I thought the first race at Talladega last year was a, was a good balance. I felt like we didn't tear up as many cars, but a lot of people were satisfied with the racing. It was great racing. I mean, you had Ricky Stenhouse, who was contributing to a lot of aggressive racing up front and didn't wreck the field. And it was great. You know, we, we saw a lot of big moves and stuff like that. And the cup race, this the Daytona 500 this year was just the fact that we wrecked the field on lap 14 and nobody was going to want to yeah. risk doing it. the field else. out. Yeah. Yeah. And it did. It cut out 14 cars from the field. And you go, okay, well, if I look at our, our rankings here, if I went down the Daytona 500 list and I started kind of giving grades to the cars, you probably took out about 14 cars that were all competitive, that were all that were primarily all like cars capable of winning the Daytona 500. So now you got left with, and it's going to sound like I'm I'm talking crap here. You got you got left with really only about 15 to 20 cars that that were capable of winning the race, and and that got single file a lot quicker than 34 of them that were capable of winning the race. So that was it. It just that. I don't want anybody judging the race too hard because it, it thinned out so quickly, like you talked about, RJ. It just was going to make for a different different race for that that big chunk of the middle. Yeah, and then you talk about sensing a wreck. I mean, there's times where you watch it and you can kind of see a wreck's happening. Sometimes it's unexpected. I've come to the conclusion that if in the truck series, if they get three wide at Daytona, the field is going to wreck it every time. <laughs> <laughs> Those trucks are so unstable. And when I see someone make a three yeah. wide move, I'm like, oh, here we go. Some someone's getting turned. And then four wide's even worse. Then then the You also gotta remember the experience level of the drivers yeah. in the majority of the truck series as well. A lot of those are younger drivers or lesser experienced drivers. Even though you got some great veterans up there at the front of the field, like Crafton and Sauter and and Infinger and and you know, now we're we're talking about uh you know, guys uh, like uh, Ben Rhodes, who won the race, he's a veteran now. But that's mixed with a lot of inexperience in there, too. 
and guys are going to be more aggressive and push those things more. Like you talk about when it gets three wide, well, chances are with the three wide, one of the three is, is lesser experience and probably something's about to pop off. Yeah. That's what I love about the truck series. You know, Timothy Peters is back this year too. And he, he did a lot of, he, he led a lot of laps at Daytona, but that's what I love about the truck series. You got your veterans who have been in the truck series forever. And then you got the young guns uh, as usual. And I feel like there's a really good balance. And, and Marcus uh, Limonis, who's done a lot of things, I think, for, for the truck series, he's doing a whole thing uh, this year. They're giving away a bunch of money if you if you pick the right driver to win. Uh, I think they're marketing it very well. I think they just I, uh, I know Stern tweeted, I think a few hours ago, they they released that. I think they got one point uh, something million viewers for the truck race on FS1 on a Friday night. And I mean, I hate to pick on IndyCar. But that is more than IndyCar would usually get on NBC. I mean, I think the Truck Series has done very well, and they said they're going to release uh, Xfinity and Cup and stuff like that uh, tomorrow or in the next few days once they get all that information. But I think the Truck Series is very healthy, and, and I think it's good that the drivers love the Truck Series, that guy that are kind of there, you know, like Crafton and Sauter and all those guys. Uh, who have kind of made the truck series their home. And I think it's, I think it's a good thing uh, for the sport. And it really also kind of gives the Xfinity series its own thing too. You know, names are made here and you're like, well, the truck series is, you know, before that developmental too, but I think the truck series is, it's kind of got his own brand. And I think the Xfinity series, the, the names are made here thing. Then you got the cup series. Um, then you got the Arca series. The Arca series is the Arca series, but um like we said, the Xfinity series. And I think um, I there was an interesting quote that I want to bring up uh, earlier in the week. They were asking some of the drivers saying the real season starts on race two. And some of the drivers were saying no, you know, because their season starts at Daytona. Like, yeah, it's it, sometimes it can be a crapshoot, but the real season starts there. We're out to win this race like any other race. Um, obviously, it's much more prestigious, but do you i mean what 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 is your stance on that do you think the real season starts raced i mean even this year it's weirder we got a road course race too it's a wild card you you could say the real season starts race three i mean but it, do you really do you think the real season starts race one or race two or you, you think that's a bunch of bogus hey look those top tens at daytona count the same as a road course top 10 count the same yep. as a you know intermediate top 10, you know, the season starts in Daytona. It's our biggest race. It's the one we all want the most, certainly. Um, but like the points that we got at Daytona, like, trust me, I wish I got more than, than 24th place points. <laughs> if, if I was sitting here with, with 11th place points, I would feel a lot better about where we're sitting. So we know that that's part of the deal. And we knew you know, we made the move uh, to be a little more aggressive yeah. that we were taking a risk. Uh, and losing points that are that are very valuable here uh, early in the year to kind of set yourself up for points positioning um, in the XMD series. Where right now, and RJ, one thing that I want to talk about before we close the pod out is how you had two very different things that happened in the lower level series that we talked a lot about on the pod uh, over the course of, of January in the lead up, which is the qualifying. And how that was going to completely affect the constitution of the series in trucks and Xfinity and who's going to get invited back to the next race and so on and so forth. Well, in the truck series, they took 36 in qualifying, 
they're going to let so because they qualify they only started 36 trucks yeah. right so basically you had four empty spots where they said the truck series was willing to start 40 at places where they had no qualifying okay well we're going to go to the daytona road course we have no qualifying they're going to start 40. how do they pick the other four because 45 trucks showed up so if everybody is sent in their entry blank for, for race number two, if there were only 36 in race one, how do they pick the other four in race two? They're doing it based off your Daytona qualifying speed. So how you qualified at Daytona affected your ability to get in the race at the road course the next week. Now that is wild. So that's how important Daytona was. So we're not just building to Daytona now with the limited schedule here. You're building to the rest of the year. And that's why raining out qualifying for the Xfinity series was a game changer because we actually started 40 cars. So now the Xfinity series is running the top 30 cars from last year's points are locked into the first three races. Positions 31 through 40 are set off of the current season points. Well, only 10 other cars earned points. They were the ones that got in the race at Daytona through provisional spots. And now they're locked into basically every race until we get to Coda in May. And you saw Jordan Anderson tweet about this, I believe it was yesterday or today, saying that basically, well, we're, we're kind of done because we can't get in a race. We, they won't be able to get in a race until one of those 40 cars drops out to open up a spot, which right now, of course, nobody's going to do, RJ, until we get a little further in the year and we see how the money's shaping up. So it's created a tough situation for some new teams, like Jordan's team was going to be a new team. There was going to be another hour for motorsports team. Uh, DGM was trying to expand to four cars. Uh, Ronnie Bassett and Dylan Bassett, Basically, the Bassett brothers had started their own team. All four of them, because of the rain, they got locked out of Daytona. And now they're basically locked out until Coda. And, and quite frankly, RJ, for some of those teams, I don't even really see them going to Coda in the first place. Certainly not to just one-off go get some points. Uh, so a lot up in the air there. And, I mean, what a monumental <laughs> three hours of rain we had at Daytona on Saturday. Yeah. Yeah, they um, it's it it played a big part, and I was just looking at the uh, the truck entry list for this week, and you said how it was based on the qualifying time. So those four spots um, looks like it will. Norm Benning will be one of them, and the six. I think he was the last one. Camden Murphy, the eight truck. Um, Nemco decided they'll enter in. Sam Mayer gets in in the seventy five because of Kligerman's qualifying time at Daytona. Mayer was originally going to run this race, so he'll run it. And then the last one was Dawson Cram uh, in the 41. But I'm looking at this entry list, and I don't know if I missed it, but Kaz Grala is listed in the 02, the Young's Motorsports truck. And I'm kind of caught off guard by that because that was Chris Wright's full-time ride for the season. Race one, is he already, <laughs> is he already out? Like He's, he's driving the 26 um, for, for Sam Hunt in the Xfinity race, so at least he'll, he'll be there. But that was weird. I mean, good for Kaz Grala if he is in this ride, but 
Um, I did see Norm Benning there. I'm glad he gets uh, that ride because um, I talked to him on Super Bowl Sunday last week. Um, he was going to be on the pod last week, but they had a photo shoot that they got scheduled, which is awesome for their team. Um, <laughs> that they yeah. got a, a little photo shoot. So, but Norm Benning, so he'll be there at the Daytona Road Course. And their plan is to run the full season. You know, unfortunately, didn't make it on the speed of Daytona, but. He was telling me about how he's really looking forward to the season. The first thing, what's funny about the interview is the first thing I asked him about this season, He, the first thing he said is, I'm tired of all these rule changes. <laughs> That's what he didn't, he, he, he was telling me about how he didn't know what races he was going to be in and didn't know what was going on. And they'll just find out as the season goes. But the, the most interesting thing he told me is that we got a Bristol dirt race coming up and he'll be running it in the truck series, um, we hope. Um, but he had said that a cup series crew chief team had reached out to him about running the Bristol dirt race in the cup series. And I thought that was awesome. And he was, he was getting real happy about that saying how great it would be for the sport and for him to, to be in the cup Bristol dirt race. And, and, and I asked him, I was like, you know, for, for the previous truck races, I'm like, you kind of go into these dirt races, um, being okay with tearing stuff up. Right. And he said, he was like, Oh no, I go into these races with the intention of destroying my truck or <laughs> my car uh, for the dirt races. So, um, I did just want to get that out there before we closed it out. Um, Norm betting possibly in the, in the Bristol dirt cup race. That would be awesome. Uh, first of all, the place would go nuts. Yeah. Anybody that's an actual fan of sport would, would go would <laughs> go nuts. Um, would be a lot of fun. Uh, look, Daytona. We're do we're doing the post Daytona podcast here, RJ, and and already we've seen how not just at the front of the field how important this is, but all the way through the field, really the business as as a whole. Uh, has basically changed yeah. for teams uh, that were planning on trying to run the full season and immediately just one slip up, one little bit of rain on a Saturday morning, you know, a bad qualifying effort at Daytona down there with your truck and it completely changes your plans for the year. Uh, yeah. So fates were, were made and lost uh, in Daytona uh, USA this past weekend. And that's, that's what we talked about so much. So, you just got to stay tuned the next few weeks because teams could have announcements on what they're going to do the rest of the season because their plans are going to change, especially, you know, Jordan Anderson racing, the Bassett brothers, um, Mario Gosselin's fight was what was going to probably be his final race at Daytona. Um, I hope, I hope he gets something together uh, later in the year because uh, hopefully they get him that one last hurrah. I know they were ex uh, very excited about that. That was the first exclusive report I was able to do was Mario Gosselin running the Daytona race a few months back and then he didn't. So hopefully <laughs> they get a shot to call by. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully sometime they'll Brutal. get something together. But that's that's the thing. Uh, it's we we talked about it. We we hyped it up. I mean weeks before this Daytona we knew Teams' fates were going to be decided this weekend, and we saw it. Unfortunately, due to Mother Nature, for some of them, but um, it is what it is. It was. I, I think it was a pretty solid speed weeks overall. I mean, you. Yeah, I think mean, a great way to kick off the season. I mean, Daytona is it's Daytona. It's the biggest thing yeah. we got. Uh, it's cool to be going back down there. I know some guys stayed down there. I think that's really neat. I really like this as a way to kick off the season, uh, to do this kind of Florida trio of races. Yeah. I really do like this as an idea 
that, that I hope kind of stays consistent on the schedule. The one thing I would say is, you know, let's let's maybe bump up the road course race uh, to, to be a little earlier rather than us staying down there for two weeks. Uh, but but honestly, I think it's great for the fans, this idea of a speed weeks. It's, it's yeah. speed weeks. I threw an S on it, not speed week. Speed weeks now. Uh, potentially staying out here and watching the road course race, too. We're going to put on a great show this weekend. Yep. Looking forward to it. All three series again uh, on the road course this weekend. So uh, we'll be looking forward to all three races. So it'll be awesome to see. Definitely unpredictable. We got new faces. We got Almondinger running the cup race. We got road ringers in the trucks and Xfinity as per usual. Uh, so it'll be awesome to see. So dates on a road course this weekend and maybe have some, some more stuff after that race. So that's been it for this episode of the driver's meeting. And we finally got the season kicked off. So 35 cup races to go uh, this season and we'll be towards the end. If you made it this far, we'd like to thank you for listening to the driver's meeting podcast today, wherever you may be and hope you stay tuned for upcoming episodes on Apple podcasting, Spotify, the believe podcasting network, and much more.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.